by the time you listen to this recording, the words Russia, Ukraine will be taking over your news feed, your radio, your social media, your TV, everything. But we were already at war. We were at war when this country was supposedly founded on democratic ideals only for all men to not be created equal. We were at war when people fought for basic civil rights ideals and voting rights only to be attacked by dogs and water hoses. We were at war when in the middle of a pandemic, people were brought out of a shutdown and sent back to work with no vaccine nor a living wage. Of course, some people define war as armed conflict. And as it relates to this country, I raise you the police state that we live under. And I can say that because so much of the money that we collect in the name of taxes, in the name of the betterment of society, which is supposed to be government's responsibility, instead goes to policing. And as a black man in America, I can say that I'm not getting the bang for my buck. I am getting banged on, though. Same as Dante, same as George Floyd. Hell, you know the names. And that's where we come back around to Ukraine and Russia and America. These United States. And why in the world would Congress agree to fund the military to the tune of $770 billion? Unless it already had war on its mind. But I didn't need to tell you that. Nor did CNN or Fox News. You can just ride down the street. You can see the homeless people. You can see the potholes in the roads. You can see how everything's gone half to hell or almost all the way there. And you know for yourself, we were already at war. Um, to, be a Negro, to be a Negro in this country and to be um, relatively conscious is to be in a state of rage. Almost, almost all of the time. You wonder why I spit the truth, but not to make no dope. To make a difference. to another episode of Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. Thank you, thank you, thank you for checking in. Can't say thank you enough. Man, I, we're back and we're in full effect. If you did not listen to the previous podcast, the Manifesting Reparations episode was incredible. Had a chance to sit down with Dr. Sandy Darity, uh, with hey, Kirsten Mullen, uh, with my brother. Man, been my brother for a long time, Jerome Ferguson. Uh, we sat down and had a great, incredible dialogue about the urgent need for reparations for American descendants of slavery. If you have not heard that, I would challenge you to listen to that. I think there are two primary challenges as it relates to black folks and reparations. I think I think black folks, if, if it's an issue of whether we want it or not, I think we absolutely want it. I think most of us are discouraged by the idea that, you know, it'll never happen in my lifetime or, you know, 
uh, white folks, it'll never happen. You know, white folks weren't allowed to happen, so on and so forth. I also think there is a, a, a very dangerous kind of pull yourself up by the bootstraps mentality that I think discourages uh, the reparations conversation as well among black folks. And I can tell you right now that podcast uh, will set, set some stro- set some folks straight. I'll put it like that. With that said, we are here today to talk about the very, well, I should say the reality of the fact that we're already at war or we were already at war. <clears throat> Lots being said about Russia, Ukraine. I had a brother. I can shout Los out. Shout out Los. Uh, he's dedicated listener of the podcast, been listening for many years. Uh, the question that he presented to me is a question that he pretty much asked about everything. What does it have to do with black people? What does, you know, what does this conflict between Ukraine and Russia have to do with African-Americans? And had the opportunity to share um, a piece uh, with him from Black Agenda Report. I would encourage everybody listening to the podcast to follow and keep up with the Black Agenda Report. Uh, I will actually share that link um, here as well about, you know, what Ukraine, what does it have to do with black folks? And in short, what was described was basically the culture of imperialism um, and how uh, the U.S. is tied into that. Uh, the Axis powers, as well as NATO. And to make a long story short, <laughs> you have to forgive me, just thought about uh, the late, great Bernie Mac. He said, who is NATO Johnson? If you guys remember the movie, you had a state. Anyway, at any rate, I digress. Um, NATO, uh, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. And so what you have is, is that you have, you know, um, America, Russia, um, excuse me, you have America and you have NATO. And a very specific and real history of going into Africa and destabilizing African countries. And so what, again, as, as African Americans, you know, we look at many of the challenges that we face here. And of course I will talk about that within the context of us being at war here. But what we have to understand, and this is something that Malcolm X talks so much about was that you have to understand that the struggle that we face here in this country, that black folks face in America Understand that there are black folks all over the world who are are dealing with the same issues of white supremacy, who are dealing with the same issues of imperialism, who are dealing with the same issues relating to capitalism. And so we have to understand that freeing ourselves here will involve us freeing our brothers and sisters all over the world. And so when we look at these, these conflicts on TV, when we look at these conflicts, you know, on social media and, and, and listen to them on the radio, that perspective is taken out of it. So when you hear about Ukraine and Russia um, on CNN, on Fox News, you know, whichever is your pre- your preference, uh, invariably the perspective that is being presented is going to always be a, a perspective that glorifies America, that largely withholds America's role as international bully. And to be perfectly clear, that Black Agenda report Article is going to go into so much more detail than I'm going to go into on this particular podcast because I want to make it clear that here right now um, we're already at war. Um, I think about black folks and the Dante Wright piece um, is still so unsettling that a white woman could cry crocodile tears and say, oh, I didn't mean to shoot this young man. And it reminds me 
of a uh, a former editor of mine said, um, and just talking about in terms of intent, she would say, well, whether you shot me accidentally or you shot me on purpose, I'm still dead. And man, if that, I keep hearing that in my mind time and time and time again, as it relates to Dante Wright. And intent factored into the decision that, that the injustice system made regarding this young man. But the end result, it speaks to the value of, in this country, or this this society, of a white woman's life over the life of a black man. The, you know, and by extension, you know, and to extrapolate that, the value of white folks' life over black people's life. And it bothers me for various reasons. But I think a profound reason why it bothers me is because our response to this as a group of people is so reactionary. It's to the point now where we say, well, you know, it's going to happen. It's the cost of doing business. It's the cost of, you know, of making omelets here in America. And at least it wasn't me or mine. So I'm going to keep it going. And we're not two years removed from this profound societal response that we had to George Floyd. And I'm wondering, what is it going to take for African-Americans to regain our consciousness in terms of a radical consciousness, in terms of a pro-black consciousness, in terms of an urgent consciousness that says we need to have a culture of armed self-defense? Not to be monstrous, but for exactly for what it means is self-defense. It's not that we're out here saying that guns are a part of our religion. We're not saying God and guns or, you know, anything unholy like that. We're saying this country hates us. This country forced us to immigrate here and it's treated us bad from the beginning. So I have to understand that, you know, while this has been our home, well, this has been our residence for 400 years, this is not our home. And so we have to protect ourselves and understand that, the threat for us here is the country in and of itself. About to nerd out for a little bit. Reminds me of, uh, I don't know if you guys read comic books, but I read comic books growing up, man. Reminds me of the X-Men. And um, one time the X-Men went on this island. They detected some type of mutant activity. And as it turned out, the island itself was the mutant. It was a sentient being. And so the island kidnapped all of them, all of the X-Men except one. It was Cyclops. And so Cyclops went back and got some more X-Men to, or recruited some X-Men to free the other X-Men. But the other ones that had been abducted, abducted, uh, Krakow was using them as a food source. And I think a lot about, and, and that, and, you know, within the context of, you know, that particular uh, allegory, I think about how much America feeds off of us, feeds off of black people, how much it commodifies black culture and then how it discards us when it's done. And it just trips me out. You know, when I think about again, the X-Men and how they went to this, this Island and the threat that they were looking for was the Island itself was the country itself. And so it is being uh, black in America. The country is the threat itself. And to be clear, black organization, black innovation, these things are nothing new. Uh, there are actually insta- very specific institutions that we have created that were created for black folk to, um, for, you know, promotion and advancement. And those are black colleges. And even now those institutions are under siege by 
perpetual bomb threats. And we find ourselves once again in this position where there is not enough urgency placed on black people and black institutions, black people who are only being attacked because of the color of their skin. And so I think about all of these different things and I realized that we're already at war. Now I want to be solutions oriented as it relates to black people and the steps that we need to take next, because I'm going to talk about us now, but when I come back from the commercial break, I want to talk about working class people because understand what is happening um, with the, within the capitalist two party system is that it not only uh, commodifies and takes advantage of, of black folks, it's also doing that with working class people and the poor. And I would say that most, um, most Americans are painfully aware of that fact. It's just that people don't feel like they have the power to do anything about it. And I'll say, I think the reason why people feel like they don't have the power to do anything about it is because, you know, I think a lot of folks are just kind of, you know, caught in their day to day. Hey, I'm trying to raise these kids. I'm trying to work at this job. I just don't have enough time. And really that's a part of the, the rat race. That's a part of what's been, what's been designed within the capitalist system to keep people from rising up and saying, look, this is enough. Like this is some BS. But again, let me shift back real fast. What do black folks need to do? Uh, I want to talk about the HBC, HBCUs first because there are a lot of conversations that are being had at HBCUs. HBCUs are on the forefront um, from a fashion sense, from a representation sense, but we got to get, you know, from, from a football sense, from an athletic sense. But we have to get back to the institutional reasons why these schools were put in place. These schools were put in place as institutions of radical thought and, and critical thinking. These institutions have largely become places where we graduate students to become tools of white acceptance and white supremacy. And I'm not saying that because black students are going to black schools and getting good jobs, you know, with white folks. That's not why I'm saying that. I'm saying that because even with knowledge, even with opportunity, even with access to Fortune 500 companies, we're still collectively and in some cases individually still ultimately powerless to deal with racism, to deal with systems that are anti-black in nature. There's got to be a cultural shift. There's got to be a political shift. And I'll come back and I'll come to that in a second. But I want to focus on this cultural shift because a lot of what we say, you know, that we're doing for black schools is, is for the culture. But how in the world can a school like Grambling with its football history? And this is, again, very small scope. How can we say we're doing things for the culture when Grambling says, hey, well, there were reports that Grambling was targeting Art Bryles. Art Bryles was the former football coach at Baylor. This is a white man. And so I'm wondering about why a white man with access is getting a job at an HBCU, not to say that HBCU shouldn't be hiring, you know, the best and the brightest, but understand what we're talking about here. When we talk about black coaches and, you know, African-Americans in that space where it's hard as hell for us to get jobs, but at the first sign of opportunity, we hire a white guy. But then we're going to sit up here and say it's for the culture. Now, of course, now eventually that report about Art Browse is being refuted. And I'm pretty sure that somebody at a school, <laughs> look, somebody that actually has the juice at that school said, look, wait a minute now. And was that person an African-American? It's, it's worth asking at this point. Because I've seen what's happened at black schools. I've seen where governors have come in 
and they have implemented that they've, you know, put their picks on the board and, you know, they've, they've made decisions that have not always been in the best interest of students and staff. I'm not just, you know, I'm not just talking about random stuff. I can tell you about, look, I can, I can name schools. I, my parents went to South Carolina state university. Some of the things that have happened at state hit very close to home, but now we're starting to get into more of the political shift and people will say, well, you know, Democrats, this and Republicans that, and man, a hundred years later, I got to repeat this quote from the late great W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, whose birthday uh, was being celebrated yesterday. This man said a hundred years ago, may God write us down as asses. If we ever again, we're found putting our trust in either the Republican or the Democratic parties. Now, what would make that man say that in 1922? And then the man came back in 1956 and said he's not voting. So we see and understand, you know, where people want to be invested and engaged in electoral politics. But we also see how those politics have historically and culturally and spiritually and all these different types of things, how they have spit in black folks faces. And we're at that point now here in 2022, where in the summer of George Floyd, we end up electing a man who is an unrepentant segregationist who is pro police, who choked out any and every growth of progressivism. We as black folks can no longer tie ourselves to these sinking ships. Without black folks, the Democratic Party would have been lost. You'd had another four years of Trump. That was clear. And what have we gotten for that? Absolutely nothing. Certainly haven't gotten a reparations package, which should have been the first thing on Joe Biden's desk, and it wasn't. But here we are. We There has to be a cultural, political, spiritual awakening for black people. And the Democratic Party and the Republican Party cannot be involved. We need our own party, point blank, period. Everyone else is getting their needs met. Hispanics are getting their needs met. LGBT community is getting their needs met. And that's fine. We need a black lobby. And we got to start asking politicians this. Regardless of gender, race, creed, whatever, what are you going to do for black people, especially in mostly black cities? Making a difference is going to ask that question from now on. And how candidates ask those questions are going to determine how I'm going to speak about those candidates, period. Just know that's the standard here moving forward. And anybody who truly has a black agenda should have that same energy, period. When we come back to making a difference, I want to talk about just how wicked it was that these folks, (laughs) look, sent us back into society with no vaccine, no living wage, but corporations doubled and tripled their profits and are still continuing uh, to profit at our expense. You're listening to Making a Difference. My name is Lauren Macon, and you are listening to Making a Difference with my handsome husband, Ken Macon. Do you need insurance for your car, home, life, or business? Then trust Jay Harvey, your all-state insurance agent in Evans, Georgia. He opened his agency in 2017 because he loves helping and working with people. As a husband and father, he understands the importance of helping families prepare for the unexpected. You can get a personalized insurance quote today by calling 706 434-8106. Jay's office is located at 3118-8 William Few Parkway in Evans, Georgia. Remember, you're in good hands with Jay Harvey, your neighborhood Allstate insurance agent. And listen. This episode of Making a Difference and every episode moving forward will honor the life and legacy of my dear brother, James Macon. James had a way of telling the truth that endeared him to family and made him respected by his friends and peers. That standard is now my gift and my burden of responsibility. 
Long live St. James. It's the West Coast diva. Tell them, follow the leader. It's yo, yo. You're listening to Making the Difference with Ken Making. Welcome back to Making the Difference. I'm your host, Ken Making. I've made this point on this show a bunch of times. I'm going to make it one more time. The shutdown happened in March 2020. I was at, you know what, I'm going to start, start back. I'm going to run it back. Because <clears throat> I was having this conversation with my kid brother this morning. And I was saying to him, like, a good place marker <clears throat> for when COVID really started to kick off was Kobe Bryant's death. And that was, I want to say that was January or February of 2020. And the shutdown uh, happened in March. And we've been in hell pretty much since then. Now, I want to say this was last week or maybe two weeks ago. There was a two-year, you know, commemoration of Kobe's passing. And as I was telling my brother, I said, man, that that's how long we've been in the pandemic. And when you think about it, it seems like, man, Kobe, you know, there are a lot of different ways to look at that. But to make a long story short, a lot of time has passed. And without any profound or significant solutions for not only COVID itself, but some of the conditions that are related to the pandemic, some of the disparities that have been, you know, accelerated, um, some of the gaps that have widened uh, since the pandemic um, started. And I always say the first and best solution would have been to shut the country down for six months, March to September, you know, send those checks to the house, keep people, you know, um, you know, in the house as much as possible, working from home, you know, where available, if you're not working from home, pay people what they're worth. Would have come back around Labor Day, country would have been on fire. You know who would have got reelected, and that would have been a setback, but everything else would have been popping. What we got instead was a president who, whose policy is indistinguishable from Trump's at this point. And I, you know, I said from the beginning, and shoot, Biden said from the beginning, <laughs> there weren't going to be any fundamental changes under. Uh, under his presidency. And so this is where we are. And that's very problematic. I'm going to start uh, from the working class standpoint, first and foremost, because we're seeing, we've seen a significant redistribution of wealth. And while people were laughing about PPP loans and, you know, saying who should and shouldn't have gotten them, uh, you had corporations who, and, you know, obviously CEOs um, who, you know, cashed in big time on the pandemic and where, you know, working class people like you and I collectively lost money. That money went right to the look right, went right to the fat cats. And these are the same people who are dictating public policy. These are the same people who are saying, look, we don't care about a pandemic. Y'all got to get back to work. And that's been the attitude of the country ever since. We don't care who, you know, who lives or dies. It's survival of the fittest. We got to get out here and, and get this economy going. It's a capitalist war against the American people. And sure, people fought back a little bit. You know, we had and we still have something of a general strike against pathetic wages. But what's happened largely, you know, in, in you know, in retail and food services is that people are significantly overworked. You know, we see it in, you know, the times the restaurants are closing you know, we see it, you know, in the disgruntled looks and I'll be on. And look, let's be clear. You know, if I'm going to get takeout somewhere, 
I want the person making my food or cooking, preparing the food to be happy. I want the person who's bringing the food back and forth to be happy. So when those folks aren't happy, look, sometimes that happy, that unhappiness can be felt in the pit of your stomach. And that's just a conversation about working class people. That's not the conversation about the poor. And, you know, as, as I've shared, you know, with the listening audience, my brother passed last September and, you know, he had, you know, we had been back and forth, uh, you know, between the medical district in Augusta, Georgia. And the way that it's set up, you can see within the medical district, depending on how you enter that particular district, you can just see the rampant homelessness. You can see people living under bridges. You can see people sleeping on the sidewalk. You can see where people have, you know, pitched tents. You know, a lot of these things, you know, a lot of these occurrences happening during the winter and these things happening in the greatest, supposedly the greatest country in the world, a country with immeasurable and unfathomable wealth. And yet, you know, we don't treat healthcare like it's a human right. We don't treat, um, you know, housing as a human right. We treat it like we treat everything else. We treat it like it's for sale to the highest bidder. And we are truly lost as a society because of it. Now, I have to say the same thing to working class people as I say to black folks. We have got to stop voting against our best interests. Medicare for all, free health care are options that we can no longer vote against. You know, I, I heard a commercial from someone the other day that said we needed more affordable health care. And I was like, nah, we need free health care. And I'm talking about if no other reason, strictly because of what we're seeing in the midst of a pandemic. Relatively speaking, we're still dealing with the early stages of, of, you know, of what's, of what to expect. You know, we're dealing with the early stages of COVID. I'll put it that way. We are now starting to see where uh, there's, there's starting to be some cases of onset Alzheimer's that have derived from COVID. Like real scary stuff. So, I mean, what are, what are we going to, what are things going to look like five years from, excuse me, what are things going to look like next year, five years from now? As it relates to this pandemic, you know, we're st- we're st- um, things are still being determined in terms of research. I'm not going to talk about people refuting the research. I'm going to talk strictly science right now. I'm not going to get into the well, I may eventually get have to get into the politics of this thing. But I'm just talking about strictly at the moment from a scientific perspective, the ramifications of how this country in terms of policy has conducted itself on COVID and what it's meant for you and I as working class people and what it, what it means for the poor, because so many of the, of what we see, the interactions, like understand there, there's a certain accessibility and availability um, that we have to one another. And I would, and I would say for myself, when I see individuals who are homeless, like I, I identify with that profoundly. And the question for me is always, what more can I do? It's a question that I ask that, government should be answering because essentially our tax dollars go to that. But that goodwill and interest has been rerouted to policing. Statistically, I mean, you can look at, we can look at um, smaller municipalities. We can look at major metropolitan cities and you see where that money goes. And so why does so much money go to the police? Because cap, because property and this society and this system and this capitalist two-party system is worth more than people. And politicians show you that all the time. 
the short answer would be to say, you know, a complete political overhaul. But the uh, conditions that I've just described actually make that, <laughs> you know, almost impossible to do because you don't have the money to, you know, create that type of upheaval. And yet I'm watching what's going on with, you know, local school boards and, you know, a lot of these, you know, states' rights conversations that are being had in terms of, you know, mask mandates and, you know, education. And what I realize is that if people would just focus on some of the things that are going on in their own backyard, they, not they, we can create some of the political change that we're looking for. It's an issue of organizing. It's an issue of, you know, taking advantage of, as I described to my man Los earlier, he was saying, you know, this talking about opportunities for leverage. And I said, look, in the midst of chaos, there's always the potential for, um, you know, gaining an advantage or, you know, um, seeking leverage. And in this country, we're perpetually in chaos. There's always something going on. Um, as, as I mentioned, partic- particularly in the midst of this pandemic. So now's the time. I would encourage you, you know, wherever you are, whatever's going on, to not even so much like-minded people, but like, you know, similar uh, people with similar goals. Uh, African-Americans, we got to do this. We, ha- we have to come together and say, look, there are, we're in a, in a crisis stage um, in terms of uh, us as a people, you know, when you look at health, when you look at education, when you look at wellness, when you look at, um, you know, self-defense and security, we have to speak to these issues and we can't hide behind, you know, a few celebrities doing well. You know, we can't hide behind, you know, the black bourgeoisie and hey, such such is the first black person to do. Uh, I mean, it, it sounds good. You know, I'm not being disrespectful. I'm, I'm not, you know, not putting myself above anybody. It's just we we have to have a more we have to have a community based mindset. We have to understand, you know, really what's at stake at this point. We have to understand that representation isn't enough. It's it's vacuous, um, and we we got to find out. We got to get our soul back. And to be clear, it's going to be a battle for that too, because we are at.
Everybody, it's Knife Wonder right here, man. And you're checking out Making a Difference with my man Ken Macon. Keep it locked. Peace. This is Donald Doe and Mike Hill Doe with Family Financial Consultants. Do you need help with Medicare, with affordable mortgage and life insurance, building an estate for your child? We provide these types of services for you and much more. As independent insurance brokers, we take pride in coming into people's homes and not only saving them money, but changing their lives. Imagine only paying a few dollars for your medicine instead of hundreds, or cutting the cost of your insurance premiums. Our goal is to provide affordable policies tailored to your individual needs. Give us a call at 803-293-8915 or 706-503-3933. Family Financial Consultants, LLC, located at 412 Edgefield Road in North Augusta, South Carolina. Agents work for companies, but a broker works for you. Welcome back to Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to today's episode. I want to recap real quick. Black Agenda Report, such great information. Shout out. Look, there. you're not going to see it on the nightly news. You know, you're not going to see it in the newspaper. You're not going to always see it on social media, but there's a, a black radical element that is that never went away, but it's starting to to pump up with great frequency, man. Black Agenda Report is one of those outlets, man. I am so impressed, you know, with their presentation of, you know, of and, and I should say in, the, in their perspective, you know, of, of what's going on, particularly right now, you know, not just with, you know, what's going on in Ukraine and Russia, but with a lot of different things, you know, just anti-capitalism, you know, anti-imperialism. We haven't really been taught that America's, we're not taught in schools that America's the bad guy, but as black folks, as working class folks, we understand uh, the ramifications of the things that, that have not been taught. And <laughs> look, and, and even how that, you know, how, how that has shaped this country and how that shapes the attitudes in this country. Um, so always, you know, pushing back against those things, you know, shout out black agenda report in that regard, you know, Shout out whoever is really just, you know, speaking truth to power and is just really telling the truth about history. Of course, you know, those conversations are expansive. You know, when, when people talk about critical race theory and 
you know, hey, that that's a I was looking at there was a poll that was done. I want to say it was done by CBS News and they were saying that, you know, most Americans, you know, don't believe in banning books and those polls don't matter. And the reason why I'm saying that is because there are legislators who are moving right now to ban books, to look, ban the accurate teaching of American history, of world history. And, you know, the um, the history of anti-black, of anti-blackness in this country. And it just goes along with, you know, with what I pretty much what I've been saying all episode is that, you know, we were already at war, you know, before, you know, uh, Russia and Ukraine got into it. And, you know, we were at war within this country. This is a, you know, a, a warmongering country. Um, this country's, uh, you know, you know, economy, you know, what fuels it is clearly, you know, conflict, you know, is war. And that's why, you know, Congress, you know, ma- made a $770 billion investment in defense. You think about all the, di- all the different things that, you know, that could have been spent on, you know, that uh, an amount of money like that, you know, it ends homelessness. You know, uh, that's, you know, you're, you're halfway to, uh, toward, to, you know, no, let me, no, let me, let me put it this way. Um, you're making a sizable, um, down payment, you know, on reparations for black people with that type of money. But instead it's, it's being spent on, on death and destruction, uh, worldwide, you know, on, on, um, destabilizing countries, you know, um, hurting people abroad. And that, you know, America says one thing, but then it goes out and it does something entirely different. But with that, I want to cap another episode of Making a Difference. Just once again, you know, appreciate you guys checking in. I uh, want to shout out TJ. TJ, I love you, man. Um, TJ, it's amazing when people invest in the show and, you know, with everything that's going on, just personally, a lot, you know, some of you guys know, you know, some of the things that I've been dealing with for people to, you know, invest, really just invest in me. You know, as I, I appreciate it always, man. Um, you can do that. You can invest in uh, the show through uh, Patreon. Uh, it's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com backslash making M-A-K-I-N a different show. Um, you can be a, a month-to-month uh, supporter of making a difference in that way. You can also make a one-time, um, you know, gesture through Cash App. And the Cash App is dollar sign making M-A-K-I-N a different show. There's something that's relatively free to do. You can always, you know, follow on Facebook. It's facebook.com backslash, the, you know, the same um, address. It's facebook.com backslash making a different show. You can also check in with me on Twitter. It's difference making, M-A-K-I-N. Um, there are just various ways that you can be involved, you know, with the movement and with some of the discussions that we're having. And I, you know, appreciate those things in advance. With that said, look forward to the next podcast that's coming up. Uh, it's going to be called The Last Black History Month. And... I think you guys will enjoy that one as well. Love you guys so much. It's Ken Macon. Peace and God bless. The revolution will not be televised. You see, a lot of times people see, 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 see battles and skirmishes on TV and they say, aha, the revolution is being televised. Nah, the results of the revolution are being televised. The first revolution is when you change your mind about how you look at things and see that there might be another way to look at it that you have not been shown. What you see later on is the results of that, but the revolution, that change that takes place, will not be televised.